Well, last week we started a conversation about technology and we're looking at our relationship with God this week. And so I thought, hey, what better way than to start with some prayers? So would you guys bow your heads with me? Excuse me, I need your attention, please. Um, No, we don't want to talk to you right now. You can leave us alone. Yes, they do. They laughed more at me last week than you. Well, we don't need to talk about that. Hey, we're just going to, we're going to go ahead and pray. So we'll just ignore this right now. I will. I will rock you. Well, first of all, you are out of beat and we're going to pray. So you just leave us alone. We're going to pray. I will join you. Okay, good. You just join us. Let's go ahead and try this out. Our Father in heaven. Oh my gosh. be your name. Get you. Just stay back here and stop. All right. So anyway, let's pray for one second, would you? Let's just do that together. Father, thank you that, and indeed, in all these distractions that we can have, that we do have a relationship with you. And I pray that right now we would be able to engage with you and learn from your word and learn from you. Convict us where we need to be convicted and shape us where we need to be shaped. In Jesus' name, amen. As a show of hands, how many of you guys feel a lot like that when you're trying to have a quiet time with God? You're constantly interrupted. There's distractions everywhere, and it's always from some kind of screen. Okay, so I'm not alone in this reality as Hal here or Pastor Hal, as he likes to be called, interrupts us in our lives and our technology. Last week, we talked about this tornado that's occurring of technology transformation, this moving from an industrialized culture into a technological culture is the biggest revolution that's been going on for the last 50 or so years and really kicked up speed now in the last 20. And it's shaping everything like a tornado through a trailer park, man. It's picking everything up, spinning it around, flinging it everywhere, reshaping the territory, making and everything will look ridiculously distracted and, and just bashed up. And the same thing can be true of our spiritual life. And so we want to take this intentionally and seriously. And in this series, we've talked about our family. This week, we're going to talk about that relationship with God. And I want you to imagine that picture, that that tornado is whipping around, that wind is blowing like crazy, things are flying through the air, and you're standing outside in the middle of that, trying and somehow to have a relationship with God, trying somehow to engage with God, and things are flying by your head. It'd be really difficult, really tough. Well, in this case, this technological tornado that's flying at us is flinging, we're going to look at three things that it's flinging at us, and distractions and different things that are coming this way. So the first thing that it's flinging at us that I want to look at today is the fact that screens are increasing the temptation factor. Have you noticed this in your own life? Like, I mean, way back in the day, it was difficult to find particular kinds of temptations. Let's be honest. If you were going to find pornography, you had to go to a store in a particular location, or you had to be willing to ask for it. Now it's everywhere. It's available. People are struggling with it. Teenagers are struggling with it. Younger people are struggling with it. Man, if you wanted to have a problem with consumerism, you had to go to the mall Now you go to your computer. It is constantly a distraction-oriented, temptation-oriented world. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you guys to think about those temptations today. I want you to stop for a minute here at this beginning and go, what temptations are increasing for you? And really, there are three categories of temptations I want to look at. And they come from 1 John. As John is writing to the church, he begins to categorize some of the aspects that are in this world that are so dangerous for us as Christians and as human beings. 
And he puts it this way, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I need to clarify something, because in the history of the church, this verse has been often used against things like technology. Oh, that's of the world. Don't go have that. It'd be like, that's a rated R movie. Don't do that. That's a drawn line. No, that's a, you don't smoke that. You don't dance. You don't do all this stuff. And the things of the world, we go, oh, that's the worldly, that's worldly, that's the things of the world. And I want to press pause on that for a minute. That's not what John means. John is not talking about objects in the world. John is talking about the condition of your heart. He's talking about the orientation by which you make decisions, by which you are driven, and what you are aimed at, your love of life. And so when you find out that the love orientation is towards the world, there is no room for the Father your creator to aim your heart. And so you're going to find that your heart is oriented and your decision-making process is built by the love of the things of this world. And so John goes on to describe what those things are. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so he gives us three categories, which you'll discover is, as you study this passage, this passage will take you back to Genesis, it'll take you back to the temptations that Eve faced, and all three of these things show up there. It goes back to the temptations that Jesus faced, and all three of these things show up here. And when you dive in, they're the temptations that all humanity face. They're the, they're these orientations and our knowledge and our interaction with decisions come from either the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. And technology increases these temptations. It really does. For example, let's start off with this first one, the desires of the flesh. Really, this is the desire to meet the wants of your body, the wants of your life. And this is true. This is where the pornography comes in. Suddenly, it's available everywhere. This is where consumerism comes in. You can buy anything you want at any point that you want. This is where it begins to happen that we fall into one of the two camps the Bible would call licentiousness which is giving yourself permission to enjoy anything when you want, or sensuality, which is the idea that I'm going to do whatever I want that feels good as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And the idea of sensuality and licentiousness was running rampant in our culture. Do it. Enjoy it. You only live once. All this kind of language. Have a blast. You know, you got to go for it with all your gusto. This kind of idea that is so current in our culture is ancient. This is a two, almost a 2,000-year-old document. And we see the same struggles in humanity then that we find them now. That, hey, you're going to go for it, have the party on the weekend, party hardy, you know, you worked all week, enjoy it. So we drink like crazy, drink in excess, you have a hangover, you're an alcoholic, you find yourself doing drugs, then you want them commercial just because they're legalized, oh, that's cool. No, all this stuff is just running after your own wants and desires. It's licentiousness. And then you say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, which is not the biblical position. We don't just give ourselves to sin because God's going to forgive us. That would be to run into the desires of the flesh. And as it will say, it is not from the Father, but from the world. Amen. And so our heart orientation in this world of technology is being challenged. You are constantly being challenged by all the opportunities to find these various things at ease. And they come in 
through this, whether it's the fact that it's the pornography or even gluttony. I mean, let's be honest. Used to be you had to drive to the store to get your food. Now it can be delivered to your home for you, right? You even eliminated the exercise that was needed to get the fast food. It's like crazy. They drop it off. And so we got to be careful. It makes it easy. It makes it accessible. And so what we have to do is be challenged and ask yourself, do I struggle with the desires of the flesh? Do I find myself being tempted on the technology more often because of that or something else? Another one is this next one, the desires of the eyes. Now this this is this we get. I think we understand this one. And the best illustration I can think of happened when my daughter was really little. She was um we, she grew up in a house, my house, where there was really only a TV in a box that we closed. And whenever we opened it, if you watched something, it came off a DVD. And so we literally put the DVD in, pressed it in, and off she went into her little storyline of Tangled or whatever she was going to watch it that day. Well, one day we go over to her grandma's house, to, to her nana's house, and we sit down and the TV's on and one of her movies that she's excited is on the television, but it's on normal television. And so she's watching it. I think they were, we were all talking and suddenly we heard this like, what is going on? She's panicking and freaking out. My wife runs into the other room. What is happening here? And my daughter had no clue what a commercial was. <laughs> she thought somebody had changed the channel. She's like, who turned off the TV? And, and we wish it would stay that way, but it didn't happen. Within a few minutes, she figured out what these commercials did. And she, I think she came home yelling, I want a pillow pet. I want a pillow pet because they pop, you know, all this kind of stuff. And ever since then, my kids are, and I and all of us are junkies for commercials. Face it. We love commercialism. We love the internet. It's a gigantic mall, Right offers you everything you want. In fact, they're crunching the information in giant computer houses out there somewhere to send you exactly what you want before you even ask for it. And so what's going on is they are trying to offer you all the material goods you could ever want, all that your eyes could ever see. And this is, this is the problem of the desires of the eyes. It begins to fall into a world of materialism where what I have is the most important thing. The one who dies with the most toys win. You remember that old bumper sticker? And that's what's going on in materialism. We live in this realm in which this is all there is. When all there is is matter, when all there is are atoms, when all there is is this world and there's nothing beyond it, you live for now. You live for this moment. Yeah, you YOLO it up and you do everything you can because guess what? This is it, baby. And so your decision-making process will go through what you can get, what you can gain, and how much more you can have, because what else is there? You're going to go into a dirt, dirt nap, and that's going to be it. And that's the danger this world is warning. It's saying, hey, guys, this is believing in your eyes only. It's materialism. The third one, then, is this pride of life. And I really find, I think we'd all agree, the younger generations, the more you get, the more you see social media rise, the more dangerous this can be. The pride of life is, is this reality in which it's about me and my stuff or seeking fame or gaining fame. There's all these pieces. I mean, I, I'm, we're all susceptible to it. Just the other day, I was in my, in my kitchen and I have these silly songs I've written for my kids over the years and for chapels and stuff because I just like goofing around with guitar and music and things. And so I'm playing this song where I've mixed up Ariel's um, got, uh, something of this world or whatever and um, Star Wars. I just mashed them together. <laughs> Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? All this stuff. So I slammed it together, and my wife started recording it while I was singing in the kitchen, and then she posted it with hearts and all this stuff. It was all cool. And uh, I was like, and, and so I found myself later that day, after I kind of knew she did it, but I wasn't quite sure. I was like, hey, did you post that? She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and suddenly I couldn't help it. I go, well, how many people liked it? 
you know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, pastor goes wild in stupid songs. It's like, I'm like, oh, it's dumb stuff that starts going off. And this is how susceptible we are to, to this idea that just a little bit of fame, a little bit of, a little bit of, oh, a little bit of notoriety. Oh, I'm liked, you know, this kind of stuff is the pride of life. It's the boastful pride of life when you start to boast about it, start to celebrate, look at what I got, my new this, look at this, and I'm almost this, and my house, and my vacation, and, da, 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 and this, that's what can happen. Now, it's not wrong to post about these things. It's not wrong to tell people and, and be excited about what God has given you. It's the heart condition that you do it in. And the danger of the heart condition can so easily fall into, check me out. And if you struggle with that, man, you need to be careful on any form of social media, that it's not all about you, that's not all about your life, and check me out, and I'm awesome, and how much more, and how much fame. If you're struggling because you want to figure out how much likes and how much this and that you're getting, man, the boastful pride of life is a temptation that will increase in your life because of social media, not decrease. It'll increase in our lives because of what we have available in technology. And this is all just to open our eyes a little bit, to make us realize that we have a problem. Technology is growing and enhancing these temptations, and they're available right in our homes at any moment that we want them to be. And so we need to have an answer to this. And the answer isn't a law. It's not chopping stuff off. It's not, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not. It's not, well, it's of the world, and I'm not going to do that anymore. No. You're either of the world or you're of the love of God. It's one or the other. And the answer is this. Your answer to these problems is that the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You need a heart condition that's oriented towards loving God. You need a heart condition that's oriented towards being with God. Imagine with me for a minute, you're in your backyard. You got one of those nice gas, um, you know, fire pits that's just constantly flowing. And you have an infinite supply of money, an infinite supply of, of fire. And the fire is gorgeous, isn't it? And it's warm and it's beautiful. And you, it's flowing over here and you're over here with a match. And it's a little burning. And you're like, it's so pretty. And it burns out. And you're like, oh, it's gone. It's so sad. Why are you staring at a match when, a, when the gas fire is right behind you? dancing with its beauty and all that stuff. That's the same thing. We get so fixated on this world and the little match of flame when you have an eternal fire of the Lord God who's present to know and enjoy with all of his glory, all of his beauty, and all of his wonder right there to have. And we elect to stare at a match. The ridiculousness of that picture helps us begin to see that when you have a time with God, when you're fixated on the flame and the wonder of who God is and that he's made you to know him and that he's made you to be with him will suddenly make temptation seem like a little tiny dorky thing. In fact, I'll tell you what, when temptation's grabbing your heart the most, it's often because you're furthest from God. Very often when temptation is strong and pulling on you, it's because I have spent little time with God. And it's actually a signal to me, wake up, buddy. You need to get back over with the Lord. You need to be back close to him. You are straying away into the darkness. Get close to that light. Move it. And it's a great indicator how powerful the temptations are in these matters depends on how close you are walking with the Lord. And so we need to get into that engagement. We need to tell the screens to get lost for a little bit and have some time focused on God. We need to tell the technology what to do, not let it tell us. But that's easier said than done because in this tornado of technology that's going on around us and the bombardment of these different things is also the increase of distractions. Isn't that true? I mean, distractions are huge. I mean, I, I feel distracted all the time, especially when I'm in BJ's. I can't have a meeting in BJ's. Anybody have meetings in BJ's? Because you don't send me there. Because I'm just like, pretty lights everywhere, flashing things. 
I don't even care what's on that television. It's just, it's moving, you know, and that's my problem. And so my wife and I know we got to situate me just right when we're in a meeting. So I'm not looking at a TV. Otherwise she'll be like talking. And I'm like, did you say something? I'm sorry. And if you're like that, just, you just need to be careful with that. But this is the problem with technology. It's distracting. It grabs us. You're ready to get engaged with God and Howell starts talking, right? You're ready to engage with God and suddenly some, something pops up and you're off in a different direction. We need to be careful of this because there's other forms of distractions now that have never been seen before. One of those, Sherry Turkle looks into it, and what she found is fascinating. She, she engaged and found out that, hey, in my study at MIT, she's a psychologist at MIT, she, she found that the younger generation who's been growing up in technology views aloneness as a problem to be solved. This is strange in the history of humanity. Silence and aloneness was a time where you engaged with your inner thoughts, you engaged with God, where you were, we call it getting centered in our current culture, but you have to talk about that because right now everybody feels like when it's quiet, there's a problem. Man, I got to do something. Why is it so quiet? Nothing's happening. I got to have stimulation. <laughs> and what's going on is we have to get to this place where silence is okay. Most people are not used to their own thinking. Now, here's what's funny. If you're ever sitting with a stranger and silence happens, what do we call it? We call it awkward. It's an awkward silence. You're like, um, okay, nice seeing you, and you walk on. But when you're sitting with your spouse and, an and a silence happens, it's not awkward. It's very natural to sit silent with your spouse. And yet what's happened is when we don't have a relationship with God that's intimate and close, a silence is awkward. And so now you're sitting with God, and every silence is awkward. Every silence needs to be filled with something, so we got to have a stimulation. we got to have something happening. And so when God is silent, just because he wants us to sit with him for a time, we're like, need something, need stimulation. God's not here. Where is he? And it's like, no. Every, awkward, every silence should not be awkward. Most silences should not be. There, it's very often that God wants to deal with what you're thinking and what you're believing, and the lies that are rolling through your head when you're in the silence so that he can say, that, that's what I want to deal with. Amen, amen. But if we can't sit silent, if we can't sit in the awkwardness, which we're being trained not to, we're being distracted in a completely new way. Now, not all distractions are bad. Some distractions are good, right? Temptation, bad distraction. But Martha was challenged with some good distractions. Now, who's Martha? Well, you'll see her. She was a part of a family of a woman. She was Martha, the oldest. They had Mary and Lazarus, their brother. And Jesus knew this family. When he was on, when he was on earth and he was walking amongst us, he had this one family they really engaged with. They lived in Bethany. And he would go visit them and he would teach. Now, the first time he came by, he started teaching in the home. Now, Martha's the oldest. She has to provide the hospitality, and her sister, who is younger, should have been helping her. But instead, Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus to listen to what he's teaching, and he allows it. And so Martha's getting all hot and flustered and frustrated. There's Jesus. You can sit and listen to him, but she's like, I got to do stuff. And says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Sometimes that's how you feel. Sometimes you know God is right there. He's ready to meet with you. Jesus, he's present in your life. And you're like, okay. And suddenly it's ding. Oh, oh, they, they need help. My one friend who's always moving needs me to come over and move his stuff again, right? That thing. Or, or bing. 
oh my goodness, I need to pray for that person, but I'm going to say I prayed, but I was distracted from actually praying, and now I got, oh, what's that? That's interesting. And suddenly we're off on a, on a different direction. Somebody likes it. There's another push notification. Suddenly somebody gives you a phone call. Your alarm goes off. You actually got to go do that chore because you've forgotten. If you don't do it now, you're not going to get to it. And you, you just push God out because you're so distracted with the good things of life. And what's the Lord's answer to this distracted mentality, whether it's distractions from the phone, distractions from our lives, distractions from our calendars, distractions, distractions? He says, he says to Martha this, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Amen. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Say that again, but one thing is what? Say that word, necessary. When it's something is necessary, it means you need it. Let's make it real simple. You don't need your phone. You do not need your technology. Oh, I know. You're going to have a hissy fit when that phone is missing and you walk out of your house and you're like, oh my gosh, panic attack. Where's my phone? I can't find my phone. Where's my phone? You're like tearing the house apart looking for it because it's in your pants pocket in the laundry. This has happened to me before. And so you're, you're panicking. But when is the last time that you and I have had a panic attack because we forgot to spend time with God? See, we don't need the phone. We need God. Our priorities are all mixed up. And suddenly when we need God, we should be in the presence of God, telling the phone where it can go, telling the technology where it can go, so it's not telling us where to go, so it's not interrupting us anymore, so we can take that time with God. Here's the problem. You can sit here and tell me all you want. Oh, but you know, it's so distracting. I got all these things I got to do, and I got this stuff, and I didn't get up on time. And da, da, da. That's your fault. I have a word for that. Wah! <laughs> From last week, right? And the point is this, it's your life, it's your choice. He says, she chose this, chose the good portion. You have to choose the good portion. You choose all these other things. We do it every single day. We set up the push notifications. We set the alarms. We put the calendar together. We loaded the app. We bought the phone. We put it together. We don't need it, but we sure put it in there and we complain when it distracts us from the thing that we need. No, we've made a choice. Make a different choice, and you will have a strength in this tornado to walk in power away from the temptations and the distractions don't have to hinder you. And in this tornado, sure, it'll fling these things at you, and I think we forget that we have a choice because guess what? This technology has one final fun thing it likes to give to us, and that is it increases our self-centered focus. You see, here's the problem with technology as the way we've designed it. It exists because you're there. See, when you're online, you are there. That world is now aimed at you, number crunch to you, taking in all of your information, sending you what you like, what your last searches were, all this stuff aimed at you. You can purchase, you can engage. It's your Instagram, it's your followers, it's your likes, your friends, all you. And what they're finding is children and young people are self-centered more than ever because, man, it's all about them. But don't eliminate us as the older people because it happens to all of us. It tricks us. A couple weeks ago, just after Christmas, we're kind of looking at our budget and it's all tight and kind of stuff. And we're suddenly, um, my wife's gone and my kids are like, Dad, the 
dryer's possessed. I'm like, what is going on? We go into the laundry room and the dryer's like doing this, and like bouncing around. We're like, what in the world? I turn it off. I restart it. It keeps doing it, squeaking like a demon's in it. I said, in the name of Jesus, get out. Nothing happened. Um, so finally we realized, okay, the dryer's busted. We didn't use it anymore. I go to my wife, what are we going to do? We're like, well, we hate this thing. It keeps breaking all the time. It's going to be another $500 call to fix it probably or $250 or whatever. Buy a new one. That's going to be a $700 thing. So we're just looking at this mess going like, whoa, man, what do we do? Well, I'd been given some cool tools for Christmas. So I'm like, well, it's not under warranty and let's, let's tear it apart and see if we can finish. So I just started the whole, taking the whole thing apart. And I, I take my flashlight, I look inside and there's this wheel that's no longer a wheel. It's like a wheel with a line under it. It's just flat. And so every time it spun, it would go clunk, 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 clunk. I'm like, I bet that's it. And so I literally look up online and I find out, oh, I can buy this part for six bucks on Amazon. I mean, that's hundreds of dollars of savings. So I, you know, do that and I find out on, on YouTube, guess what? They have a whole tutorial how to fix that part. I'm like, this is awesome. So I pull that up and I order the thing and suddenly Amazon goes, it will be delivered in three days. Three days, I have Prime. This is ridiculous. This thing should be here tomorrow. I don't care it's Christmas season. That part, I need that part. I can't postpone fixing the dryer for three. Notice the selfishness that suddenly caught my heart. Just how quick. It's all about me and my timing, my calendar, my stuff. Not the fact that I could not walk into any store in Southern California and buy that dryer part. In fact, I just saved hundreds of dollars to fix that dryer. And I'm complaining about a three-day wait? This is, yeah, thank you. Wham. I have a word for that, yes. My problem really comes down to the reality that in my prayer life, then it's probably a little impatient with God's timing. That if I'm trained to treat this in this scenario, how often do I not be patient enough for God to answer? Well, God doesn't answer prayers. He's not Amazon. He never gave you the guarantee of the next day delivery or even same day delivery because he's wiser than us. And he knows what we need, and he knows what fits his plan, and he understands that we are children asking a parent for something that sometimes we don't get what we're asking for. And yet we're trained to be centered on us. And we're trained then to carry our burdens ourselves as well. And how many people right now, you're not willing to go get help from somebody? I got it. I'm going to fix this. I'm sure there's there's a YouTube out there on how to fix what's broken inside of me. Well, maybe you can fix a dryer, but there's no true website. There's no amount of information that you're going to fix you. There's no self-help. There's no amount of self-care and rest time and me time that's going to fix you. You are an unfixable problem. I'm an unfixable problem except for my creator who knows me to fix me. And this is the situation, man. I need to be fixed by God. It's no wonder that Christ came to earth, that Christ came to give us access to the one who has the power to fix us. The author of Hebrews was speaking to an entire group of people who are walking away from Christianity after, being, after having come out of Judaism. And they were like, well, this is cool and all, but we, we, we yearn for the old way. We learn where we can have the temple and the sacrifices. In the same way, so many Christians right now, we're, we're abandoning God because he doesn't do it for us the way that Amazon does. And so the warnings are the same. Don't, don't forget, you can't carry 
your burdens. You can't carry your stuff. You can't expect this. Instead, what he says is, remember what the Lord gave you. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. In other words, now that he's given you access to God, in the Old Testament, there was a curtain that hung down between God and the other part of the the temple area, and you had to go through that, and only the high priest could. But Jesus came in, tore it open, gave you access through the cross of Jesus Christ, taking our sin away. And he says this, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with faith. He says the answer to the self-centeredness, the answer to this is that I came to give you an opportunity to be in the presence of God. Distractions are dealt with by by choosing to be with God. Temptations are dealt with by being in the presence of God. Our burdens are dealt with by being in prayer and giving it to the God who has the power over everything so that we can walk with him and know him. He is the one who gives us the strength. Second, if we are being so self-centered, it's no wonder how we treat church. We change church. Church becomes something we come and watch, not something we be. Church is something we come and engage with at the way that we want to. In fact, it's really interesting and we joke about this on staff a lot because technology makes us all obsolete. You, you can stay home, choose your favorite pastor to listen to, your favorite radio or TV pastor, awesome messages that are out there. Select your favorite worship team, all your favorite songs of that worship team, sing as loud as you want in the privacy of your home, write down all the notes you can, have this awesome spiritual experience, and at the time you want to give, you can give it to the one organization you really care about, and bam, you just done church. We actually talked about, let's just install a bunch of iPads in the back of the seats, and you guys can come in, sit down, select what you want. Oh, I like hymns, and I want that, and I like Chuck Swindoll today, and ah, oh, and we'll just have church alone together. That sounds like an awful idea, doesn't it? Because we all know church is more than a TED Talk and a concert. We, we know it's, it's hearing the word of God. It's the presence of one another working together. And the problem is when we burden ourselves, we try to take all the load on, we don't come to the church and ask for help. We don't come to the church to ask for counsel. We don't come to, we, we got this. And we misuse being the church. It's not just a service to pop in and pop out of. It's a community of support and care. It's no wonder the author of Hebrews continues on. He just doesn't leave it at go visit with God. He actually continues, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, the community helps us pull together. We want to hold to this. You know, the more students I've met over the years who are in the youth group that didn't continue in church, the wackier ideas they have, and most of them have walked away. Because somewhere back there, Churches didn't mean anything, and then the faith didn't mean anything. You can't just, I'm just be a Christian. And a lot of them who claim they're Christians don't live anything like a Christian. But it's because somewhere back there, one time they, they walked an aisle or they prayed a prayer. But they never committed their life. And so he says, you need to hold on to that commitment you made. You consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hey, I'm not saying when you're sick and you're at home or you're watching today at home because that's where you need to be, that that's bad, but I'm saying that you do need to meet together. You can't take communion at home. Yeah, I put my own juice and cracker together. Communion is about us walking with Jesus together. It's a communal meal. It's a community event. That's why I always challenge you. If it's a communion week, be here. 
Be together. Now we get it. Some people literally can't leave. We ought to go to them. We need to connect with them. There are shut-ins still in this world that we need to care about and love on. We can't leave them alone. We need to be the church, not just about showing up. And so there's this entire thing. But the older we get, the more we need to connect with each other, it seems to me. As you see the day drawing near, that's the day of your death or the day of Jesus' return. Both those things seem to be together. And so I'd say the older you get, the more we should be at church. I say the closer it gets to the end time, the more people should be coming together. Why? So we can encourage each other, build each other up, press each other to love, and to do the things that we need to do for the good of the kingdom of God. That's happening when we're together. And so we follow Jesus together. We encourage each other together. We live in a communal space together, and we are therefore protected together in this tornado, encouraging each other. Now, I'm using this terminology of a tornado on purpose. Because if, you live in, if you've ever lived in tornado country, how many guys have ever lived in tornado country? You know that on your, on your television and everywhere else, you get the, the yell and scream, a tornado is coming, get ready, be prepared, right? We're always about earthquakes, be prepared about the earthquakes. But in a tornado ter- territory, you need to be prepared. You need to prepare that the basement, you board up your house, you do whatever you need to do, you prepare, open the windows. However, that preparation is necessary. Obviously, I haven't lived in there. I live in Southern California. You need to be prepared. Consider this your warning. The signal's going off. The sirens are railing. We need to be prepared. So how do you be prepared? I just told you three times, by being in the presence of God, by having time with God. And I can tell you right now, be prepared by having a time. Put it in your calendar every day. Mark off when you're going to be with God. And some of you guys, you need to do that. It works for you. It tells you, bam, I need to be with God, and you're going to be there. Me, I go, hey, look, I missed my time with God. It was on my calendar. That's cute. (laughs) I need something else. And so I want to give you guys a different angle. You need to prepare a space. I'm going to call you guys to prepare a space where you're going to meet with God. More than just a time, have a space, a physical location that you go and you connect with God. Why do I say this? Because it's a classic tradition. In fact, Moses was one of these who did this. I get this from the text in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses has this tent that he pitched it outside of the camp, far off, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Now, first of all, the reason it's far off out of camp is first, it's away from the hustle and bustle of the camp and where everybody's busy and running around. He's not going to get interrupted by the the environment of the camp, city camp-like environment. Second, it's far away from the camp because just outside of the camp is where you had your bathrooms. That's in the ancient world. That's where you went. You didn't go in the camp. You went outside of the camp. So far enough out of the camp is this tent that he sets up. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Notice how much it emphasizes. It's out there. Where is your space with God? Is it away from the crazy? Is it in a special place where you know you're not going to be distracted, where you're not going to be interrupted, where people aren't going to be all over you, where suddenly kids are going to be like, kong, 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 kong. mom and dad, are you in there? Kong, kong. What are you doing in there? Kong, kong, kong. Second is it needs to be a place that's respected. Once you have this space, you let people know. Notice what goes on. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door, watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So you stand there watching. There goes Moses. He's moving real slow today. Must be early. 
What do you think he's going to do in there? And then off he'd go, and he'd get in the tent, everybody go, okay, back to work. And they'd all kind of enter in. But it was intended. They didn't, didn't disrespect him. As he went in, they would watch until Moses got into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, not letting anybody in, and the Lord would speak with Moses. It was a time of meeting, of connection. You need to have a place where you have prepared. I often have a corner in my, in my, um, my closet, and I have a corner in my office. These are my two places. I grab, a, I grab a, basically a cushion off of, my, off of my chair in either of those locations. I toss it in the corner so because then it protects my knees when I get onto my knees because they can hurt real bad. And I spend time with God there, sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes 5, sometimes 30 Sometimes I bring my phone with me and I press play and I just listen to the word of God spoken. Sometimes I sit there with prayer cards. Sometimes I just set up a chair. I sit down with a pen and I start writing with a pad of paper and a journal. But I prepared the space so that I have a place that when I go there, I know it's there. And I can tell people, hey, please, please, no, I'm in this space. Don't bug me. Don't bug me right now. Now, that's a little difficult with four kids in the house. That happens. But you do your best that you can. Because Jesus even tells us this. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray with your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Even Jesus, God, you need a private place. He would go away outside of the city to a, high, to a hill to pray. He got into solitary places because he wanted to get away from the distractions to connect with his Father. If that's what Jesus needs, guys, we need this especially in this time of this tornado. And I want to challenge you, prepare that space in your home. Prepare it at your work. Wherever you can prepare it, have a space. It's where you meet with God. John Wesley had one of these spaces. In fact, when you go to his house, you can still see the indentation of where his knees would hit the ground every time we'd pray next to his bed. It is an incredibly powerful thing to have a space because here's what happens. A calendar doesn't shout to me. No matter how many times it goes, I just go, cancel, I don't want to look at that. Cancel, I don't want to look at that. But I will walk by the space, and there are times where God is yelling at me from the space. I will see the corner, and he's just like, you need to come to hang out with me. You need to come hang out with me. And man, the hunger of God raises up in me. And I go, God, I, okay. And I, all day I'm thinking, how do I get over there? How do I get over there? How do I get over there? And it orients me because the space is there. The space is calling. The space is telling me. Can you imagine every Israelite as they're going out to use the facilities? And off over there is the tent of meeting. And God's going, hey, you can come talk to me? You can come hang with me? Walking just by the edge of the tents and there it is. Calling to you. Calling to you. I, can't, I would challenge you, prepare a space. Do you need a time? Set a time, but prepare a space where you can meet with God. Guess what? Even in a public setting, as Christians gather together, we prepare a space. That's what this is. It's a space, yes, sometimes used for different purposes, but when we gather here for a church service on Sunday or morning or Saturday night, it's a space we come to meet with God together. Amen? Amen. We don't just come here for the TED Talk and the concert. No, we come to meet with God. We come to have an experience of him. We come to have him confront our sin, open our souls, wake us to our need of him. And so that's why we're here. I hope I'm fostering a hunger in you that you're going home going, oh God, I missed you. Oh God, it's been so long since I've just sat. And I hope inside of you right now is the ache to return to the presence of God. And if you don't have that ache, I'm gonna challenge you to meet him. 
He is here. He loves you. He made you for it. He's calling you through his son, Jesus. All you have to do is begin today. And so once you've prepared that space, you need to prepare your tech. You can't just go for it um, because you got to put that tech on do not disturb or shut off the internet or everything you possibly can to limit the distractions. If you're going to use tech, choose to use tech. I turn sometimes on a Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. I'll pull it up. It has tons of different different, uh, Bible versions in it with lots of different ways it'll read it to me. It has plans locked into it, and it helps kind of orient sometimes my my spiritual life. Maybe it's you want to go dive deep, so you need to get some kind of, you know, Logos Bible. Bible study book or a faith life study Bible or something on your computer helps you dig in and you're going to spend some time studying the word of God. Maybe it's you just need a good old fashioned journal or maybe you're not good at writing, but you need the voice recorder on your phone to record what you're talking to God about. You can do all these things, but use your tech on purpose, old fashioned tech, pen and paper to modern tech, the phone. All of these are available, usable, but use them on purpose. Tell the tech what to do. Don't let it tell you what to do. Limit its distractions and set it aside. There is apps out there for everything, from sharing Jesus to learning theology. One of my favorite ones in learning theology is the New City Catechism. It's been out for years, and it walks you through a catechism that is it's just kind of a general Christian catechism. It asks you questions, teaches you how to answer it, and if you're like, oh man, that sounds so advanced, well, use the kids' version. It's shorter answers, and it sings it to you. It's awesome. <laughs> there are tracks that you can use to help present the gospel. There is worship music. There's all kinds of great things that you can engage in your spiritual life with. And so limit the distractions. Limit them even when we come together in the public space. Turn your phone on Do Not Disturb. Set it in a state where it's not going to bother you. Some of you use our app, our church app, to take notes. That's fine. Do that. Just make sure the other distractions are gone. And take your information. My wife likes it. It saves it. stores it. Me, I can't focus with shiny things in front of me. So I take a pen and a paper and I just write like crazy all the time. Some of you have focus problems. Write. Write what's going on. Throw the notes away and just write what hits you, what God's leading you in. You can pray in the middle of it. Sometimes I just go, that's a good thought. I'm writing down, he should have used this illustration. No, just kidding. But (laughs) my point is that you do that and you prep your community. You tell them, hey, I'm going in. We're going to church. Let's focus ourselves. Let's have some time where we're engaging with God. Let's let's reach out. Hey, keep me accountable. I'm reading the Bible. That's another way you can prep your community. All of this enables you to begin to engage in this. But then it leads to just this, all this. I can tell you, prep your time, prep a space, prep your tech, prep your community. I can give you all this stuff. But the bottom line is you got to meet with them. I can't make you meet with them. I'm not going to come to your house and knock on the door. I'm going to come to my wife's house and knock on the door, but wait, I get, my kids, hey, are you meeting with, no, you got to do it yourself. You have to spend that time. You have to take and engage in this on your own. There's no reason to talk about this if we're not going to do it. You will continue to grow hungry. You'll be continued to be buffeted by, by all of this temptation. You will continue to be taken down by this tornado if we don't engage. Don't waste any more time. Prep these things and get with your God He has opened the way for you. Let's not miss it. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the technology you've given us. With all of these tools, we are more armed and ready than any Christians in the history of the world. And yet at the same time, we have exactly the same amount as every Christian has. We have your presence. We have you. And you are here to teach and lead us and train us and guide us. 
And God, we pray that you would help us go deeper and further with you, that we may know you and walk with you. The great Christians of the past, without all the technology, were able to know you deeply because they spent time with you. Help us to be the same. And that way, would you motivate us this week to meet with you? May that hunger, that starvation for you just overwhelm us that we find ourselves in that space, speaking and connecting with you, our God, who has loved us so greatly. Thank you for what you've given us. We pray we would engage it in Jesus' name. Amen.